Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, as always, from our Santa Monica studios, and we have a great episode planned for you this week. First up, I chat with the top tennis player in the country of Finland. It's Emil Rusevari, live from the Stockholm Open. Had a chance to talk to him about his upbringing in the sport in a non-conventional tennis hotbed of Finland, what it was like to grow and rise through the tennis pro ranks. He beat Alexander Zverev in Miami this year, what that top 10 win meant for his confidence and his development, as well as some of his interests off the court. He loves collecting basketball jerseys and got the chance to meet one of his idols, the legendary Finnish flash hockey player, Teemu Solani and what he plans to achieve as his career progresses. And then I chat with Pamela Maldonado. She is a sports betting analyst for Yahoo Sportsbook, also hosts the Stack of Stats podcast. She bases a lot of her projections on analytics and statistics, and she loves tennis, loves Novak Djokovic in particular. We talk about the ATP finals, some of the value bets she likes, and of course, 2022 futures at the Australian Open. It is Emil Rusavari and Pamela Maldonado on Tennis Channel Inside In. Let's start the show. All right, now on Tennis Channel Inside In, we take you to Stockholm, Sweden, where I'm pleasure have the pleasure to be joined by Finland's top tennis player, the only player from his country ranked in the top 100, a 22-year-old with two top 10 wins and three tour-level semifinals. Welcome to Tennis Channel Inside In, Emil Rusevori. Really appreciate you joining me. Uh, pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Yeah, pleasure to be here, also on my side. I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about this year. You've uh, had kind of your, your full you know, meat and potatoes bones of being a professional tennis player. It's been a full grueling season. The summer's been up and down for you, but you got some major victories. You win in the first round at the U.S. Open. How has it felt like progressing the Winston-Salem semifinals? How do you think your pro career has been progressing, especially this summer? Well, I mean, it's... Uh... It's only the first, like the whole season for me on, on tour. So of course there's uh, many, many things that I have to learn and I've been learning, but also there's so many new things still. Um, but I mean, I felt, you know, like the, after the clay, the clay was tough. I had a injury after, small injury after Miami and then it was tough uh, on clay. I wasn't really in shape and uh, yeah, I didn't get the matches that I needed, uh, but then kind of regrouped and uh, went to the States and started well on the hard courts, uh, semis in Atlanta. And uh, yeah, that, that I felt that one was good. And, uh, and we had very good time in Davis Cup and then a couple of last, last tournaments um, uh, indoors and uh, uh, felt a couple of good, good, good results, but I felt um, a little too up and down. So could have been better, like more, more solid on that. Well, that's for sure the goal for next year too, it's just to be more, more solid and get used to everything and yeah, get the, get the wins more regularly. Yeah. You're just scratching the surface on your pro career. And I know tennis players kind of keep tabs on players, especially those they beat. So that victory over Cam Norrie looks a little bit better now with what he's done for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, that was one of the best best matches uh, this summer, I felt like. Uh, well, everything felt very good. I, I got through the few few first matches there, and then in that match, uh, I was just on with, with everything. And yeah, I was for sure one of the one of the best best matches this summer. Well, we like to try to get to know the tennis players on this show at Tennis Channel on Inside In. That's what we like to do. And I know in the past it's been characterized as your tennis career started as like a great coincidence. You were a badminton player. And that's how they kind of scouted you out. So I guess, how were you as a badminton player? And what was that transition like as a kid to just having a racket in your hand? Yeah, well, I wasn't really like, I was just <laughs> five years old. So I was just having fun with my mom. So I yeah. was, uh, but yeah, it was just a coincidence I didn't. Uh, we just some sometimes we just went to this uh, sports hall just next to us actually still it is next to where I live in Helsinki but uh yeah we used to do all kind of stuff whatever it was possible to do and sometimes we will uh, play table tennis badminton where we're even on the gymnast every and uh, whatever there was to do and uh, yeah but don't really have any other athletes in the family or relatives or whatever so I was kind of the first one and um yeah I mean it was, it was so fun that's interesting uh, no yeah. no I, yeah the first athlete in the family it's interesting too because your country Finland has a lot of athletic prowess but not really in the sport of tennis I saw a photo of you as a young kid training at the Arco Niemann Academy and he, that resource, like we talk about how tennis is played across the globe, and there's a lot of tennis players that say they want to open academies, but he really made an impact on you and the young generation of tennis players. Do you think that, you know, without him and without that influence, you'd be where you are today? Uh, for, first, I have to mention my my sister was a gymnast. She did okay. gymnast. <laughs> that, that's the, that's right, yeah. so I wasn't, for, for a period of time, I wasn't the, the only one. But, yeah, I mean, he was... Uh, he was a big, big idol. I mean, I'm always, especially when I was young, I of course looked looked up to him very much. And uh, now I had the chance uh, to, of course, know him better. And he's very much involved. And I'm, I'm lucky to say that he's uh, just more like a friend. And uh, it's just not, nice to have him there and uh, just give his knowledge. Uh, Davis Cup captain. We always have fun time. He even still practice with us. Uh, but of course, it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you have some somebody like him that you see that he's he's doing well and he's playing at the uh, very top of this game, and uh, it just, of course, gives um, what we'll say a hope, hope and uh, kind of knowledge that it's possible, and uh, that's something that also I, I would like to do if there's any kid that uh, would like to be a pro tennis player and he looks at him, uh, he's there, and I, I want to be like him. Then, then uh, that's the the goal. Do you feel any more uh, added pressure or maybe do you see yourself as that role model for, for young Finnish kids? Because like a lot of countries have multiple tennis players. You're pretty much carrying the mantle right now for your country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, for the, let's say in the last one and a half years, things have changed a lot. I mean, I uh, first year just coming up and uh, I won many, many challengers. And, uh, but then suddenly now, Everybody starts to know know you and how to play you and uh, get, get all the tricks. So uh, kind of like table tables turn, and now it's just need to get you're not not the underdog anymore in every match. And uh, so it's uh, it's very different. But yeah, I mean it's new things, and I I like it. And it's uh, yeah, that's how things change. Well, when you started your pro career and you started getting match experience, you you've struck me as a confident guy, confident young player. 
the Miami Open match against Verev. I know you had the win over team at the Davis Cup, but that Miami Open match against Verev really opened a lot of eyes. It's a premier Masters event, one of the biggest tournaments in the world. You lose the first set, and then you just roll in the second and third sets. Tennis players are very confident, but what did that mean for you to actually realize your dreams of actually knocking off a top 10, top 5 player? Uh, of course, it was a very big win. Gives a lot of confidence for and also to get... I mean, I had those all three matches were super tired of the first one with Alcaraz. I mean, just to get through that one and then, and you know, you're playing a top 10 H that won the, won the title and it was uh, just... But I felt... Uh, just the previous week, I had the chance to play uh, Rublev in, in Dubai, and uh, I think that helped a little bit. Just, uh, I mean, top ten, they're always top ten. They have some very special uh, quality, and uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think it help, helped a lot uh, just to go on court and see see what what it's about, and uh, then to get to do that one again uh, the next week. I think that that was very very good for me, and uh, yeah, somehow pulled it off, and uh, then even the next match, and uh, yeah, then. Well, Yannick was too good on that day, but yeah, it was special that win. Yeah, it was special. Well, you pulled you pulled it off, but you did it in style too. I think that's why a lot of people were fans of what yeah. they saw. What if you had to put into words what distinguishes a top five, top ten player? Because we see you and we see players at your stage in your career that are right there, that are close. What distinguishes the guys that are consistently ranked in the top five? Is it consistency? Is it just having a few more, you know, having more calmness in these big moments? What do you think makes them different? Well, I think, it, of course, you have to have the whole package. But like I said, I think they, in the top 10, they have something something special about their game. And uh, uh, whether it's uh, some massive shot or then the movement or, but something, something I feel like they're, they still have something a little bit better than, than the rest. And that's why they're there. Uh, but I think as a tennis player, the, just the whole package is uh, how you handle everything. That's, uh, that's the key. And then, just the everyday stuff that you do and that that's what counts but yeah that, i feel like they still have something a little bit better than the that's why they they're there introducing coco golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe it's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court the multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the coco cg1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco cg1 at newbalance.com Amor Savari on Tennis Channel Inside and Wolf. You're on your way there, we we hope. And speaking of a top 10 top guy, you got to practice with Rafael Nadal within the last couple of years. How does that come to be to, to be at the academy? Does he does he hit you up? Do you reach out? I mean, I would assume if he reached out to you, it's just yes immediately. <laughs> no, I mean, what helped a lot was the I won the challenger there uh, the previous year. So then it was, I mean, that's one of the, very very nice things i have to say that they they were so welcome they like everything we needed which the we got it and uh yeah it was very easy to go there after the win there of course everybody knew what happened and uh so uh that was that was very nice so the last two years we, we've been there and yeah both times i've been able to practice once with him and that's that's special i mean and then even this week i i got the chance to play practice with andy and it's just uh yeah, the ball just comes a little yeah. different, and uh, from those guys, and uh, it's just uh, so such a great experience to just practice with them and uh, the intensity, especially with Rafa. And, but uh, like, there you just feel 
a little bit what those guys like Nole and Rafa and Andy, let's say they're a little bit different kind of skills, but it's just, that's, it's different. Yeah. They seem like normal. I mean, they're all time greats, but they seem just like normal guys as well. And I know, I think you gave credit to Rafa for studying tape, like looking at film, reviewing stuff. And is that something that you continuously do learn from Rafa to kind of watch tape and study your opponents that way? I mean, that's the higher you go, you have the better job you have to do. And that's what most of the, uh, that's why I have the coach and he, he does that job. But also we've been uh, looking more matches, my matches and also other matches that you, just every small detail that you can get and try to work on that. That's that's the key because it's, it's uh, so small, the differences at the moment that it's, it's just everything you can get out. It's, that's, uh, it might be big. Well, I want to ask you something else to kind of get to know you a little bit off the court. Mm. Every time, you know, people look at your Instagram page there, they see a common theme. It's basketball jerseys. We see LeBron James. <laughs> we see uh, your country mate, Laurie Markkinen, although we got to get you the Cavs updated jersey. And I even saw Dennis Rodman on there. So is it like a full collection? Is that it? Or you just go around the world collecting basketball jerseys? Uh, well, it's, it's starting to be an okay collection, uh, but it's... Uh, don't even follow that much. It's tough when you're in the in Europe and with the yeah. time change and everything. I actually have always played more hockey than than basketball, oh. but so just uh, it's more that I like the jerseys and the, of course um, if you get to like now we had on Netflix the thing about Jordan and uh, so it's nice when you get to know the, the Rodman and shit <laughs> special yeah. dude you could say. So it's uh, but yeah, it's uh, I think it's a fun little hobby. Well, everybody loved The Last Dance. I'm glad you, you were yeah. able to check it out as well. Uh, you mentioned hockey. That leads into it. I mean, I, I grew up in the hockey community myself. Tamu Sinani mm-hmm. was a legend over here. Oh, yeah. And I know he was one of your sporting idols along with Yarko Niemann. But it, is it a little surreal? I mean, you're a pro athlete now, but you got to, like, know Tamu Sinani. Like, you're eating dinner as a guest at his steakhouse. What's it like to see your idol in the flesh and get to know him a little bit? I mean, so he's um, such a great guy. I mean, he's a big, big tennis fan. So that's why I, I got to know, know him. And um, uh, yeah, we first time was there. We actually went on went on vacation. He was, we had the challenger in Helsinki and he was there and uh, just said, we're coming there. So he uh, invited us to come. And uh, then this year in India Wells, uh, they came to support and watch the matches. And it was actually nice to have Finnish guys there, a uh, couple friends also from college, so that it was nice. Don't get that much noise usually uh, on the other side of the world from like home feeling. So that was very nice. And then we, yeah, after the tournament, we had dinner and I got spent some time at their place. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, we're the, just you can also learn so much. I mean, the athlete he was, and he's such a competitor. That's I, I think the biggest thing is everything is about competing and. Uh, but yeah, it's a very, very nice guy. And it's, uh, nice to, uh, learn also things from him. Yeah. 21 seasons in the NHL. And you mentioned it. He knows tennis. Like he follows it a lot. He's tweeting about your yeah. matches as well as others. Uh, what kind of, what kind of hockey player were you? I mean, you mentioned playing like, and that was what you wanted to do if tennis didn't work out. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I think I did like two or three actually like practice in a team. Uh, I never liked the team sports and really didn't work out for me, but I used to go when I was a kid. We had uh, the tennis arena was uh, like, a, I will say 50 meters from a, a skating ring. So it was like 
uh, just to go like before practice and after practice just to skate and just nice. play with the puck and uh, I had some friends there so uh, it was just something that I did the, the, during the winter time I just went from the tennis court to the uh, ice hockey and it was it was very nice. Nice. Well, we'll see. Nice time now. now. <laughs> we'll see how you guys do in uh, 2022 in the Olympics with the pros coming back. Yeah. So I'll see if Finland can. I was. I just thought you were going to say you were a goalie because it seems like that's where all the no. <laughs> goalies come from. No. Is Finland. Uh, a couple more things, Amo, before we wrap this up and let you get out of here. Um, you feel like the way tennis is going, the timing is everything. That you have all these veterans that have dominated the game for so long. Here you are at 22, and there's kind of a changing of the guard starting to happen. Do you feel like you're part of this youth movement that's taking the mantle? And then, in, in a sense, you feel like you have to try to distinguish yourself because there's a lot, there's a talent boom on the young ATP side. Yeah, I mean, there's many guys, but uh, yeah, I, absolutely. I feel like, well, I've been many of those guys, Gorda uh, and Sinner, and these guys also lost to many of them and many times. But uh, yeah, I, I think I, I have it. I mean, it's just a lot of work still. I mean, so far, I mean, you have see some of these guys i mean let's say yannick what a year from from him and he reached the top 10 and so that there's a, a lot and a lot of work to do from my side and but i mean that's that's the goal and that's where we're aiming for and uh yeah is there any part of your game that you're trying to work on maybe going into the off season and what you're trying to get better at or is there one thing you're targeting to improve that you think could make the difference in a rankings rise um i won't say any particular uh, i think there's many aspects that i still need to work but like i said before it's just a uh, consistency and uh, i mean just uh, like i said it was the first year on tour and just try to improve pretty much everything i mean just i mean it's about about winning so finding the ways to win that's uh that's uh, in the end that's the only thing that matters is that goal still the Grand Slam? That's that's at the top of the mantle to get yeah, to the that's Grand Slam a, title. I have to keep it there, yeah. Keep it there. I like that. Uh, well, no, I appreciate getting the chance to talk to you. Uh, last last question for you. Your hobbies on the road. Are you part of this gaming community, or is there something else you do to pass the time traveling uh, as a tennis player? Yeah, I have to say now that during, well, actually now past six months, not so much, but when uh, this whole thing with the COVID started, I... I Started to have my PlayStation a lot with me, so I was kind of, uh, but don't even ask about the gaming skills. That's not, I should spend much more time on it so that you will have a chance, but it's just nice. I mean, uh, spend some time, talk to the friends. I mean, it's so easy. Just have a group of friends and uh, go there and just get your mind off. And But yeah, yeah we used to, used to play quite a bit when this whole thing started. started and uh, then also when the tournament started, I, just had it there because we spent so much time on the in the room so it was it was difficult so it was good to have something to do is it friends back home or is it other tennis players that you play with uh those are friends back home okay. uh don't get to spend that much time with them so it, okay it, it's nice it makes sense Emil Savari, thank you so much for joining me on tennis channel insight and best of luck with everything maybe we're looking back at this interview when you're hoisting a couple of grand slam trophies <laughs> yeah started from the yeah, bottom so. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on. Best yeah. of luck. Thank you. Huge thanks to Amo Savari for being very gracious with his time. And I can assure you that's not the last we'll hear from him. That's a young player on the rise who's doing it the right way. Uh, more success to come. Thank you to Amo. And uh, we can't wait to watch how your career progresses. 
Before we kick it to our next guest, I just want to give a shout out and say congratulations to Garbini Muguruza, who won the WTA Tour Finals in Guadalajara, Mexico. She finishes the year strong, wins the Tour Championships, and uh, is back to being a main, main factor, a major player in the WTA landscape, contending for majors. She beat the hottest player, player with the best record going into the end of the season in Annette Contivate. She continues to rise. So congrats to Garbini Muguruza, her whole team, Kachita Martinez. She's certainly on the up and up. All right, now it's time to switch gears. We're going to talk to Pamela Maldonado, who is a Yahoo Sportsbook host. She's a betting analyst. She's a writer. She hosts the Stack of Stats podcast. She bases a lot of her models in college football and in tennis on analytics and stats. A huge tennis fan, a huge Novak Djokovic fan. She's got a lot of thoughts on the year championships in the ATP, the year-end titles in Turin, what Djokovic is doing, how Medvedev and Zverev are emerging, how we're kind of looking at this post-Federer and Nadal landscape for tennis fans and betters alike, and her favorite tournament of the year, the Australian Open, just a couple months away. Some early thoughts on the 2022 futures market and just general betting strategies in the sport of tennis. It's Pamela Maldonado now on Tennis Channel Inside it. All right, now on Tennis Channel Inside In, Mitch Michaels here in the studio. We're pleased to be joined by uh, an expert in the sports gambling, sports handicapping side of things, a uh, betting analyst and writer for Yahoo Sportsbook, hosts the Stack of Stats podcast, where she breaks down the world of sports betting, focusing on statistics and analytics. She's a Texas Longhorn, a social media extraordinaire, uh, physique athlete, and also a very good poker player. Pamela Maldonado, thank you for joining Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for having me. I wouldn't go as far to say a very good poker player. It has okay. been a while. <laughs> okay. I was wondering which one of those you're going to have a problem Huge with. Huge fan. Yeah. Poker. Okay. <laughs> well, we got to always love our first loves, right? And I, I've read your backstory. Sure. I'm excited to chat with you on this. Um, and I know as a Longhorn, Longhorn alum, one of the things that excited me about your story is that it's the unconventional way to get where you are. So I looked at your resume, I looked at kind of what you had done before you got into this world. So I had the question, you know, you were working in the academic advisory world, you were looking at, you know, a yeah. different career. How did you, I don't want to say fall, fell in love with sports, but how did you get the itch to maybe pursue something that led to you being one of the premier uh, handicappers out there? I have done it all. If you look at my resume, I've bounced from job to job. I was part of the 2008 layoff. I was working in an oil company at Valero in San Antonio. I've worked for judges, attorneys. I thought for the longest time I was going into uh, politics and being a being an attorney on my way to be a Supreme Court judge. I had aspirations that had nothing to do with sports. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and what kind of shifted my my uh, mindset on that was moving to Vegas. I my guy was a professional poker player. 2011, the crash hit hard, where it became illegal in the country. So bye bye online poker. Okay, what are we gonna do next? Well, he needed to find a place to play live, and he chose Vegas. And I was like, well, what am I gonna do? <laughs> and I said, you know what? I was I was I was an academic advisor at the University of Texas San Antonio. And I had no job planned. I was just like, cool, you're going. I'm going to go. I'm going to figure it out. You're getting into poker. What if I get into poker media? Mm -hmm. I love writing. And I mean, it was it couldn't have been more perfect timing. I ended up reaching out to some editors with PokerNews.com. They picked me up. I was with them for my entire time in Vegas. And if you look at the casinos, 
what is right next to every single yeah. poker room? Mm-hmm. The sports book. Yeah. <laughs> it's another, it's a, a typical feel good fairy tale, go to Vegas and have success. Oh wait, no, it's actually the other way around <laughs> most of the time. And uh, I know you name dropped, uh, name checked UTSA in there. So, I mean, you leave and then they just take off and become the best football program in school uh, history, maybe even the best in the state of Texas right now. Right now, 100% of the best football team in college football in the state of Texas. And it's not even close. It's not even close. Preseason, I touted them as a largely underrated team. I think they were something about plus five, five to one odds to win the conference. They're undefeated right now. And it is the hype of the town. If Mm. you see their banners in Austin, you see their banners all over between now and San Antonio. It is a fantastic team. The UTSA Roadrunners doing much better than my Texas Longhorns who just got wrecked last week against Kansas. I know. I know basketball season started, but I had to make sure that was actually a football game when I saw who won that one. Um, (laughs) Well, you mentioned the sports books and and it's that unconventional path to get into that. So you're saying that you were a complete novice when you started to look at sports betting. And I guess my follow-up would be, how did you go about learning to understand what was happening and then how to make money and ultimately how to give advice to people? Oh, that's a loaded question. Okay. So, (laughs) A lot of money management, a lot of what you do with sports betting is largely correlated to what you're doing in poker, and that's money management. It's the same thing with playing the stocks. You have to manage your bankroll. You have to understand what is a um, a risk that is worth taking and stuff that you should be laying off of because you don't have that much of a margin. The winning The margin for winning is not that strong, so you have to find and pick your spots. I was talking football a lot. You're not, you're out nothing but dudes all day playing poker. I was always <laughs> the only chick on the table. And so, all right, what conversations am I going to talk about? Let's talk some football. I grew up in Texas. I know the big 12. I know I knew college football, like the back of my hand and players were starting to know more and more. Um, hey, you're actually pretty good at this. Have you ever thought about wagering some money? Walked right on over to the sports book. It's yeah. I started betting here and there. But then it became, all right, I'm getting picking up steam here. And what I'm doing now is what I was doing back then. And that was posting, hey, I'm playing this team to cover this spread. I'm taking the total. And I would post it to my Twitter account, which was only poker players. <laughs> and so wow. and so I would end up just talking. And I always, always, always gave a reason. I've never been like taking Texas minus seven. And that's it. Like I always gave a throw. And mm-hmm. my perception of the game, I would always post it. And after I decided to leave the poker world, um, apparently people were taking notice because there is a company that reached out and they said, hey, we love what you do. You're really good with your analysis. Would you like to join our team? Just like that. It is a fairy tale situation, but it was the right place at the right time. And I know that I've only been in sports betting for less than uh, for a couple of years or less, but ultimately I've kind of been doing this for a long while now. And, And that was my resume, Twitter. And I'm guessing success was the reason why the following, like there's a correlation with that. Like you're going to get more popular if the picks are right. No one's perfect, Absolutely. but uh, if you're, if your average is pretty high, what got you into uh, tennis and, and that world, which I would say isn't yeah. as crowded in the uh, marketplace, at least in North no. America in terms of handicappers <laughs> and analysts, but what got you into uh, breaking down some tennis bets? Also my guy, he used to play, he plays, he's been playing tennis his entire life, played in college, really freaking good. And there was one time when we were living in Vegas, I would say this was probably around 2014 ish. He, I'm very athletic. I'm a physique athlete right now, but I'm very athletic. I've played all sports my entire life. 
And there's one day where he said, um, you suck and I don't want to play you anymore. And I was like, well, fine, make me better. And the athlete that I am, and we did every single day for minimum one hour for six months, he would take me outside. We would play tennis and he would drill me and he would help me with my forehand and my backhand and my serve and everything. And I went from like a complete beginner to like a 4-0 level and I was beating players in competition and then I threw out my back. Playing the game led me into just a straight passion for watching tennis, like unbelievable. It's a beautiful sport. (laughs) It really is. And I know as you mentioned your athletic prowess, you get to see, I, I was similar, like not as decorated an athlete, but bigger into other sports, got into tennis through family growing up. And then when you get to college, it's the best way to keep your cardio shape. It is really Absolutely. tough to play. And it is like you get benefits, probably the best sport. I would say that it's the best benefit when you play someone a little bit better than you because you're working oh, yeah. on running, you're working on your fitness and everything. But like you said, there is a level to it. When someone's too good for you, then it's just not fun for them. And then they don't want to play anymore because they're just, exactly. they're not getting better. So he said, let me make you better. And I was like, fine, I'll take that challenge, make me better. And he did. And it became a lot more enjoyable for him. But it was also like pain stricken for me because you, he was a much, much, much higher level. And so I'm absorbing all of that power that he has as not only as a male athlete and, but also as like a much better tennis player, me being the athletic person that I am. I was also a Pilates instructor. I was a cycling instructor at the same time. And I was still going to the gym Mm -hmm. lifting. That was a lot on my back, so I no longer play tennis, but the passion for the game is still definitely there. Um, pickleball okay. <laughs> is, <It's>, yeah. <laughs> is the alternative, <laughs> but it's definitely not the same. So I, I'm, am I correct to assume that when you started to play and get serious, that's when you started to really follow the sport at the professional, at the ATP level? Uh, that goes into your unbiased, unbridled joy for watching <laughs> Novak Djokovic play. Oh, it is completely biased. It is. It is an obsession at this point. Novak, if you are listening, I'm ready for breakfast anytime, man. Anytime. I love pancakes. I'm sure you do too. Gluten-free. Hit me up. (laughs) If it's got to be gluten-free for Novak. Um, Gluten-free. Yes, I'm I'm open to that. No. um, Yeah, I've been watching tennis, I would say now for probably, I mean, as long as I've been with my guys for like 11 years and, you know, you grow, it's become... For a long time there, though, I wasn't betting on the sport. It was, I would bet Australian Open, that's it. And the rest of the year, I'm a fan. But now, because I'm in content creating, it's a little bit different. <laughs> Certainly is. And uh, your career interest in tennis mirrors his just dominance of the sport, which I want to get into uh, for the moment. We're, we're at the ATP final stage of uh, the year. There's only a few matches left. And uh, we, we talked about scheduling this around this time. I'm not at all shocked at where we are midway through. We're gearing up towards another Novak Djokovic uh, run at the title and and run at uh, another crack at Daniil Medvedev. But Djokovic had his match today, lost five games to one of the better players in the world, Andre Rublev. And uh, at 34 years old, what, what we've seen with him is that he doesn't slow down. And the betting markets, for the most part, are just going to make him a prohibitive favorite for the foreseeable future. Absolutely. There is a point in time, what was it, 2016, 2017, 2018, around there, you could just blind bet Djokovic to win every single tournament and you were making bank. And it wasn't even, injury wasn't a concern, competition wasn't a concern, the draw, it didn't matter. You knew that he was just untouchable and the books, they never corrected themselves. You could get plus money on him to win any tournament 
any surface any time of the year and you were making money things started shifting largely and i think people still don't quite understand the 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 importance of the pandemic that it's taken on the tennis on the tennis world no sport in my opinion has been drastically affected by the pandemic as tennis and it makes a lot of sense because these players are traveling worldwide unlike any other sport Pamela Maldonado here on Tennis Channel Inside, and you bring up some good points here as we talk sports betting and, and Novak Djokovic's dominance in the tennis world. There's a ranking system as well. So you have the rankings are basically year-round. You have the COVID rankings, which is a little weird. But essentially what I'm getting at is you have numbers by your name that doesn't reflect where you are currently in the crop of players. So I think there's exactly. a ton of marketing inefficiencies there. And you, know, you mentioned it. With a great player like Novak Djokovic, the best value which I'm sure I've seen you tweet out actually is going to be in futures to start a tournament because match to match, you're just not going to get much of anything for this guy to win heads up when he's expected to do that. Absolutely. And for right now, every tournament, no matter what it is, typically he is going to be the favorite. He has been even uh, except for with the exception of Roland Garros, because it's not, you're, you're going to have Nadal favored every single time blindly. That's just how it's going to be. But for every other tournament, whether it's an ATP Masters, whether it's a major, even if it is a little 500 event, it's going to be Djokovic up at the top. Blind betting him now is not advised. We are starting to see we no longer have the top three, the top four anymore. It is Novak Djokovic, Medvedev, and then the rest of the field. They're starting to catch up. Some of these younger players, they're starting to contend. Djokovic, you're seeing him. He's having to adjust his game. He's having to employ more of a slice, a drop shot, and he's just doing things now. Fully capable, 100%. If there's any player that can make adjustments mid-match, it's Djokovic. But these players, they're, they're starting to become more competitive. Yeah, I heard a tennis player recently talking about Djokovic say it's like he designed the court. That's how comfortable he is out there with with real estate, and he just oh. knows how to work the, the geometry of it so well. Uh, I love that. Whether it's with him or with other players, I, I just kind of want to know more of your strategy. Do you Are you somebody that will bet spreads, bet totals in terms of maybe mm -hmm. you think a match is long and too tough to call or will go long? Do you like to live bet? That's another thing in the rage where if you mm -hmm. catch a player down, a break, a set. What type of strategy, if you could walk me through what you do in, in terms okay. of betting? I'm going to give my secret sauce. You ready for it? I'm ready. Bet only the Australian Open. That's it. That's it. That's <laughs> what we're targeting. We, we start the year with targeting. the bang. Okay. So here's the reason for that is you have, it is in the beginning of the year. It is a fresh season. You have players, not just Djokovic. You have the rest of the field, too, who have the freshest legs. Injury is not a concern. They've been rested. The longer you get into the season, travel is more of an impact. We're still in COVID situations. So uh, every country has different protocols. Injuries are starting to pile on. So here we are in November and you see players that are dropping out of ATP finals and Berrettini injuries come January, late January, early February, once Australian Open starts. You got the freshest that a player is going to be. I would say more for betting purposes, more true to form. Australian Open yeah. is definitely the strongest. And it correlates to my success. If you see my numbers, <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty freaking good when it comes to Australian Open. Brag, but it's yeah. by design. Yeah. But it's by design. Yeah. And then towards the end of the season, once we start getting into even I would say even just like right around May, June, July, things, things are starting to shift a little bit. Uh Oh, starting to have a few more losses. It's because a lot of more elements come into play. I think that's uh, a good piece of advice. It also probably 
explains why a guy like Novak Djokovic, when everybody's at their freshest, he's still the best and does so well down there. I don't want to mm -hmm. critique your strategy too much, but I will say in addition to that, I would look at surface results and I would look at head-to-head. -head. Head-to-head matchups is big because you'll have rankings, you'll have players that may even be coming on a losing streak or a win streak. There's something about that mental challenge of a player, a guy that's beaten me a bunch of times. Or the flip side, if you've beaten somebody else, that could be as well. Um, this ATP Finals, as we look right now, uh, Pamela Djokovic is even money to win the tournament. Now, I, I bring this up because you have him, you have Medvedev at plus 175. This is the only tournament a year, essentially, that's not just a bracket. This is round robin. They'll get to the semifinal stage, and then it's right. played out. You think the value on, on Djokovic is good at plus 100? Medvedev at plus 175 has been, as we mentioned, the only guy that could really consistently give him a match and beat him. Or is there value in some of these other players that might get those semifinal spots? I would be looking, oh man, it hurts, it pains me to say this, but I would be looking to Zverev um, in this spot against Novak, at least for the semifinal yeah. that we would be seeing. Um, it's a fast court speed, and you've heard some of the players complain that it is a little too fast, and it favors Zverev. It's a, we saw, we just saw Zverev be very competitive against Medvedev. That's the preview because nobody else is more comparable to Djokovic right now than Medvedev. They split the tie breaks. He lost 8-6 in the third tie break. Um, that's essentially the same player that he's going to be facing for Joker. Um, Zverev would have to have a bad service game, I believe, in order for him to completely just like be dominated in that. So in my opinion, it's definitely more of a coin flip in this specific matchup. If Zverev is on, He's equally matched here on the surface and Zverev, he doesn't just have a big serve. He has the big serve with the ability to play the place, the ball in certain spots. He hits the corners of the box. His serve is like is phenomenal when it's on Novak right now struggling with his second serve. He's able to get those back because of the break points one, but I think this is going to be definitely a competitive matchup. If anything, I would be looking to Zverev to upset Djokovic. Um, in, if they end up facing me here in the semifinals. But ultimately, yeah, I would not be surprised that it's another Djokovic-Medvedev. There's a lot that I wanted to just break down there because I agree with most of what you said. Um, the fact that the fact that uh, Zverev uh, almost beat Medvedev, something that can kind of bring together football and tennis fans, that, that yeah. match was just marred by a replay controversy. They, were, they, called a foot, <laughs> yes. they called a foot fault. They reviewed it. It was closer than you could imagine. Just why are we even mm -hmm. at that point? I just... Exactly. I think it was unnecessary, but Zverev plus 550, as we mentioned, it's great value. I think I think what we could kind of get at is the head-to-head, -head, if it's Zverev versus Djokovic, you're going to see him have real odds against him. I think it might be a tall task for Zverev to have to beat Djokovic and then Medvedev back-to-back -back in back-to-back -back days. I, I agree. Yeah, that I'm, that, not yeah. I'm not suggesting for the tournament. I'm suggesting yeah. to upset one match, Djokovic. Yeah. That would, I agree one with match. That. That's um, way better value. And only because if it does get to tie breaks, more so than anything, tie, tie breaks are coin flips. Mm -hmm. And it's, you have to, it favors the stronger server in 100% right now. That's Zverev. And best of three versus best of five, which we see in majors. Djokovic is just so physically fit. Right. He wears everybody down. Takes he, your legs and takes your soul forever. I need that. I need that etched in my back. I, know. I think you might have to, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the football season sign might have to go. The, the, that <laughs> sign. Uh, no. And I just think that an, another side of this is Djokovic had that break after losing the U S open where mm -hmm. he took that time to recover and then came back. So I actually think yeah. he's way more fresh than he normally is this time of year. Cause oh, most of the 100%. time he's just playing through to the end of the year where these guys are getting more up and he might be on his last wins. He also hasn't won this event in a few years, so I think that's part of the motivation there. 
No, I fully agree with that statement, and it is going to be Djokovic versus Medvedev. Um, I would just like to see Zverev contend a little bit here because I want Djokovic, I want his confidence to be built back up, and that's only going to be built back up through defeating solid competitors and not rolling over them. Medvedev is getting good. He's He's got the U.S. Open, <laughs> the reigning champ, and uh, it's kind of crazy how in the last, you know, I've been following tennis a lot longer than you, it's gotten way taller. Like Djokovic is one of the small guys in this field now. Like when did that I hate happen? That. I love that you mentioned that because yes, over the years it has become a tall man sport. And I really don't like that because no. as a result of that, it's become more of a baseline game. You used to see back in the day where I, I mean, yeah, I may not have been watching tennis as long as you have, but I am also fully aware that back in the day players came into the net and now they're not. It's so it's a rarity to see a variety in people's games. And that's why I love Federer so much is because he's the only player who has that drop shot, the drop shot. He has the slice. He can move you. He can move a player front and back, left and right. You don't see that anymore. And Medvedev is a prime example of that. He would be absolutely untouchable if he just came into the net more. And those are the adjustments that he needs to make in his game to have Djokovic dominance. More with Pamela Maldonado here on Tennis Channel Insight. And you mentioned Roger Federer. Uh, bad day for, for a lot of Federer fans like myself. I'll try to get through this uh, without crying. But he's, <laughs> oh, out of the, he's out of the Australian Open. He's probably not going to be playing uh, through Wimbledon, it sounds like, as well. Uh, he is mm -hmm. definitely rounding third and heading home on his pro career. At this point, I think I speak yes. for everybody. We just want to see him play some tennis going forward. But mm -hmm. it, it also brings up, I mean, I was going to segue into the Australian Open 2022. It's not going to have Roger. Rafa is a question mark as well. He's listed as plus 900 on futures, but I'm not ready to say he's going to play yet. So we're getting right. into that post big three era. And and I, I know as someone my I age, think we're I'm there. A little, I'm a I little, think we're there. it's a little sad to see. And then, you know, we got to get used to not having Roger Rafa, eventually Novak is the guys anymore. We're still missing Dominic team. I would love to see Del Potro hit back on the court. Mm. Um, Walrinka, I mean, there's yeah. so many great players. We're seeing Monfils consistently get injured. Um, there's so many great players who just have been around for so long and they're reaching the tail end of their careers. And of course, Roger Federer is one of them. I paid an exorbitant amount of money to go see him at the US Money uh, the US Open and he did not go and yeah. I was disappointed. Mm. Made the most of it. It was a great experience, but that I believe that was my last chance to see him. I think it's the time is coming. We will maybe see Federer at Wimbledon or at the Labor Cup. I think though it's unlikely for Federer to be competitive enough to win another major. And it breaks my heart to say that it's just, it takes a toll on the body and he's getting to the age where, Hey, you know what? You need fitness and he's going to be outmatched by some of these young guns. I got to see him at Indian Wells a few times before uh, the end. So I'm happy with that, but no, I mean, with Nadal as well. I mean, he's had a lot of injuries this year, especially French Open. He's still going to be a contender, but those chances are, are going to be, you know, fewer and fewer for him. The other side of this, the the morbid side, or maybe the, the positive side for the betters is, I think there's a trend with all sports, especially tennis, where some of the name recognition guys are favorite mm -hmm. or get more respect. You can even say this on the women with Serena Williams, where they're overvalued when they've mm -hmm. kind of lost it or are starting to lose it. Exactly. And you're going to see that with Djokovic. It's going to be Australian Open. This is his surface. This is his best tournament. He has the most titles there. He's going to get, he has all the accolades. He's going to get all the recognition. You can potentially find value elsewhere in maybe in Medvedev or, and there's a lot of options when it comes to betting tennis. You don't always have to just predict a final. You can always, some of my favorite bets to make are to win the quarter 
or to reach the final. And typically when it comes to Australian Open, I think I, I, I want to say that I have correctly predicted the final for the Australian Open like seven years in a row or something. Wow. It doesn't really take that much. Yeah. It's not really that difficult. It's Djokovic yeah. versus somebody. And so it's not that bad. There, yeah, yeah. But you can do exact matchup bets also, um, and I love to do them for the Australian, but you can do win quarter bets are my favorite to reach the semis or to reach the final would be the second uh, second features that I like to do. And then obviously first round matchups, there's so much value in first round matchups because there's so many up on the board and the books, they're not really paying attention to tennis. They're really more so paying attention to all of the props for the Super Bowl or, (laughs) or some, or something related um, NBA finals or whatever else is happening in sports. Tennis always gets pushed to the wayside. There's actually a lot of value come to come Australian open. You're speaking my language. There's 128 players (laughs) in the, in the tournament. So that think about how many matches that is. It's an insane. Exactly. It's, it's bigger than March Madness in that regard. Um, and yeah, win the quarter is a great idea because you can go one way, get value, get some value on a favorite Djokovic to mm-hmm. win a quarter or something like that, where you just want to p- collect something easy, or you can find that underdog where they just have to get to the quarterfinal. They don't have to complete it. It's a good way to hedge there. So exactly, I agree with you on that one. Do you have any advice going forward other than Djokovic? I know you mentioned Medvedev and uh, Zverev for the Australian Open, are there any other players that you've got your eye on that you'd like to see, maybe if Team or, or Sitsipas can kind of make a run? I think we're all interested um, in Carlos Alcaraz. He is... Oh, we're I, going future. I love it. We are going future. Let's talk futures. Yeah, because back in February, I had posted a tweet. It was when Carlos... It was... Uh, I posted a name to watch in the next two years in tennis was Carlos because he was at the time he was 17 years old and he, it was right after he qualified for his first grand slam event, which was the Australian open. He won the, he won three ATP challenger titles that year and he toasted, it was Goffin. There you go. He won, he defeated Goffin in 73 minutes in a warm up tournament. So I was like, all right, this kid, 17 years old, watch out. Look what he's accomplished in nine months. I was saying watch out in two years and he's done this in nine months. He has the speed. He has the all around court game. He has power. Um, I would not. And I know a lot of people are saying, Oh, like he's very reminiscent of Nadal. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, I've been saying that for nine months now. It's fascinating. And I'm excited because it's like he he plays more like actually Federer when I watch him, but he's got that Nadal like heart fighting spirit and the, and the power that Nadal had uh, at 18, it's like he's a full-grown man at 18 already. Uh, that exactly. that's that's a great pick um, for some of the other futures. I know we saw Yannick Sinner make the top 10. He's somebody that's on the climb, still 20. Uh, Felix Auger-Aliassim, the Canadian who is on the fringe of the top 10 right now. And then the other name I got to throw out there, and I know you probably heard this name a bunch because he comes from the first family of athletics. It's Sebastian Corda because he's yeah. coming from sisters that are golfers. Dad was a tennis player. I think he's probably the American's best hope for somebody to crash that top 10 party. I think you're not giving Fritz enough, Taylor Fritz enough credit. Um, yeah. Taylor Fritz, for the longest time, he was the player that I was uh, hoping to see would be the American next best player. And, you know, life, he made he went on and had a, had himself a family, and that's fantastic for him. I really think that might have set him back in his in his professional career. But now we're starting to see glimpses of greatness from him. And I know that he didn't deliver when he played against Djokovic here recently, but he's definitely improved on his game. He's one, he's not just a big serve. 
um, like some of these other American players are, but he has, a, he's largely improved on his baseline game, on his ground game, on his forehand, his backhand. He's been better now than he was a couple of years ago. And I can't wait to see what 2022 does for him because he's improved. And I would more so be interested in Fritz than I would Korda or some of these other players. And I'm still interested in uh, Alcaraz over any of those guys because I like a player who has variety. I like a player who can drop shot. I like a player who's going to come into the net. I like a player who's going to push you all angles of the court and not just play you from the, behind the baseline. That that type of game style to me is just, it's not exciting. I love tennis and I want to see, you been, you said it yourself. Uh, he has a lot of Roger Federer in him and that's probably why I'm so drawn to him. And then you tie that in with his his love and his passion and his just like, oh, his vamos lifestyle. I love it. Give me some Carlos Alcaraz. I can't wait to see him in 2022. And born in 2003 doesn't help either. He's still just a, a baby at 18 years old. So there's a lot of tennis <laughs> wow. left. Wow. <laughs> you want to, you just like made me feel like hella old. That's <laughs> 2003. 2003. Yeah, that was when he was What born. was even happening in 2003? <laughs> Backstreet Boys were still a thing, maybe? Federer, I don't even, Federer I don't was even playing. know. Federer was playing. I mean, that was the concept <laughs> oh, there. Heartbreak. <laughs> um, but no, I, the, I appreciate chatting with you. I, I do have one uh, other question I want to ask you. Where does the Djokovic yeah. loss in the U.S. Open final rank on your sports heartbreaks? Because it sounds like you had like a passion for him and just seeing him that close, as close as anyone we've seen in our lifetime, to get the calendar it slam. It was. Um, I... I know that. Oh man, that's a that's a that's another loaded one there. So yes, I do. I would say more so than anything, I'll I'll give you another secret of mine. I actually don't enjoy betting on tennis. I like, <laughs> I love betting Australian Open. I really yeah. truly do. hundred percent. That's my time to make money. The rest of the eleven months, I know that I'm going to take a back seat. I'm going to bet a little lighter, and I'm going to keep it recreational because I do have such a passion for these players. Um, I consider some of these guys the best athletes in the world, not just in tennis, the best athletes and the appreciation that I have for Djokovic, it, it, it runs deep and it, it really hurt um, because it's not just in our lifetime. We may not see another player potentially achieve the type of success that he's had, but we may not see another athlete. And I think people go largely underappreciating that. Yes, Djokovic, you can call him the greatest of all time, but look at what he's done during that time. I truly believe that we don't have a goat in tennis. We do have the Nadal, the Federer, and the Djokovic who all pushed each other to be great. And having those three players is a blessing and people need to appreciate it because it's fading and who knows what the future generation is going to bring us. Yeah, I, you said it perfectly. They, these are three of the greatest athletes of all time. You can take tennis out of there, and you know your appreciation for, ten, for appreciation for tennis makes me smile as well. Because I mean, these guys are literally playing matches and losing like six, seven pounds running around out there. It is just a complete <laughs> grind. Uh, no, Pamela, this is fun. Pamela Maldonado, check out all of her picks on Twitter and uh, her work for the Yahoo Sportsbook. I did have one last thing. What's uh, what's your career like? What's it like being a physical athlete and, you know, getting into that mindset of, of, of training, of competing, of obviously the dedication you have to uh, enter these competitions as I look at that picture of you, I think, deadlifting <laughs> over your left shoulder? I do, yeah. Um, so I my first competition was during football season. Never again can I do that, <laughs> especially working for Yahoo. Yeah. Um, the type of content creating, the amount of work that's going into both the NFL and college football 
and then you want to tie in some body bodybuilding in between. I'm still competing. I'm still on prep right now, which means I'm in a slight deficit, but I'm still lifting at the gym every day. But you want to talk about mental toughness, and I think that's what goes underappreciated in tennis too. I always talk about the mental mindset that you need in order to be uh, a Djokovic in this sport. Well, you need the mental toughness in order to be in bodybuilding as well because um, you need to be able to still have a lifestyle of going out with friends, watching them enjoy the drinks and the food while you are eating a side salad. <laughs> and But you're still lifting the same 250-pound deadlift that you were doing on lower calories. Um, you need the commitment. You need to understand that it's okay to say no to some of these social events and put in the time to do your cardio, do your do your weight training every single day. It is a full-time job being a bodybuilder and the dedication, I think it's definitely trickled over. It all came from poker. The wow. type of dedication wow. that you had from poker, it trickled into sports betting, it's trickled into bodybuilding. It's all related. Wow. Well, no, I, I agree. And, and I think it's uh, very admirable, admirable what you're doing. And uh, you have that, you know, that wolf mindset, like Novak Djokovic, he considers himself the wolf. I think that there's a little bit of that in you as well. I'm definitely more of a bull, but yes, okay. the bull. Well, all right. Fair enough. <laughs> Pamela Maldonado, a pleasure talking tennis and talking sports betting with you. Uh, good luck with everything, though you don't need much luck. Your, your, your star is uh, rising as we speak, but thanks for coming on Tennis Channel Insight and always a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Huge thanks to both guests on today's show, Emil Rusavari and Pamela Maldonado. Thanks to both for being generous with their time. I encourage everyone to follow Emil Rusavari's career trajectory, his tennis in 2022, and make sure you follow Pamela Maldonado on Twitter, on all social channels, listen to the Stack of Stats podcast. Whether you like college football, tennis, or just want to get better informed in the world of sports gambling and sports betting, she's a great follow, and it was a pleasure to chat with her as well. Tennis Channel Inside In can be found on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Just go to tennis.com slash podcast, where this episode and the entire catalog can be found, or on all your podcast platforms, and the network continues to grow with various podcasts that we love to promote. So check out the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll be back next week with more interviews with players on tour, analysts, and more tennis insight that only we can provide. It's Tennis Channel Inside In. My name is Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.